You're listening to the Her Leadership Coach Podcast for the quietly determined career woman who's looking to step up into her first or next level leadership role. If you're looking to make a bigger, more positive difference in your organization, you've come to the right place. Well, hello, welcome in. It's Rochelle. Today on Her Leadership Coach, I am joined by Gina Ballerin. Now, Gina is the author of The Secret Army, Leadership, Marketing, and the Power of People. And she's also a TEDx speaker, which is pretty damn exciting. Uh, Welcome to the show, Gina. Thank you so much for having me, Rochelle. It's my pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure having you here. Uh, I want to start with the easy, easy part because I think you know this well. Tell us a little bit about Gina and your your journey so far, uh, and maybe even put a little bit of leadership stuff in there. What makes you a leader? So Gina is Gina Ballerina. She wanted to be a ballerina from the first years that she started ballet and ended up marrying someone with the surname Ballerin. So she got to be Gina Ballerina (laughs) for the rest of her life. He's a good man too. It's not just the fact that I like the surname. Right. It, it didn't hurt though. It worked, it's right. Tina <laughs> nice. uh, is someone who is fascinated by the art of communication in all its forms and particularly how communication can unlock preconceptions, which is so important in leadership. Yeah. Now, I train leaders to use their voices in a context that makes them proud of who they are and their company. A lot of leaders stand on stage and they can do a decent enough job. But because I've had the TEDx experience and because I've been on stage since the age of nine, I know what it's like to feel proud on stage. Mm. And so my greatest delight is to being able to help senior leaders feel that they can be themselves on stage, but also be extraordinary. So I understand communication in all its forms, having many years of marketing experience. I'm a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Marketing. I sit on their board and I'm an an AMI member and a fellow of the AMI, blah, blah, blah. It's not important. What's important is the fact that marketing is all about communication. And if you're able to understand how to change people's hearts and minds, how to help them be proud of what they do, you can be a marketer and a leader. Mm. You can be someone who champions the message of your organization. And I think you can help people feel more proud of who they are, what they do and why it matters. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Okay, so my first question is, what were you on stage for at nine years of age? That is a fabulous question. I was, in fact, a ballerina. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, my first foray into You know what? It was a leadership role when you think about it in retrospect. I was Gretel in Hansel and Gretel. Oh, wow. It wasn't the first time I'd been on the stage per se. It was the first time I was in a leadership role on stage. And it was quite extraordinary at the time that I learned all the words to the voiceover that we were performing to. And I thought, this is my destiny. I'm meant to be on stage. I'm meant to be a dancer. Mm, No, that didn't work (laughs) out. I'm meant to be on stage. I'm meant to be an actress. No, that didn't work out. I'm meant to be on stage. And finally, I realized I'm meant to be a speaker, someone who can inspire people through the art of communication. Mm -hmm. And if I get to talk about leadership, so much the better. Mm -hmm. I love it. And and really, when you think about it, all of those are about leadership, right? Like it is, it's all about leadership and it's all about 
all about telling a story. Ballerina, actress, communicator, marketer, it's all about telling a story. So you have that thread right from when you were really little. Um, I love nine-year-old ballerinas. I just like, there is something so cute about my daughter was a dance, not a ballerina, just a modern dancer, I think it was called on stage. And the the picture of her still, uh, we're talking nearly 20 years ago now, on stage dancing just um, melts my heart. So I can just imagine nine-year-old Gina on stage melting hearts. <laughs> it was a truly joyous occasion. And I love every minute of being able to connect with an audience. But I never thought about it as being a storyteller. You're absolutely right. Storytelling is in my blood. My father was an excellent storyteller. Admittedly, you got a bit bored after hearing the story, same story for the third or fourth or 27th time. And my mum has always been involved in communications. So I'd, I really didn't have a choice, I think, yeah. <laughs> about being a storyteller. Yeah. Well, and almost in the uh, the marketing piece, right? Because what we hear as marketers is people need to hear your story at least seven times. So clearly your father was just getting you used to that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's go with that. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so tell me, let's sort of look into uh, something closer to the audience's heart, although storytelling is, is a big piece of it. I'd love to come back to that in a minute. But from your perspective, what do you think the purpose of work is? There is a connection between work and stories because when we're at work, we tell stories to ourselves. A lot of people have to work. You go to the office to earn a living, to pay for living expenses and child-rearing expenses and just to keep body and soul together. But does work actually keep your soul together? Now, I've given this a lot of thought over the years. I've been privileged to work in organizations that have allowed me to, to a greater or less extent, develop my own autonomy, mastery, and purpose. But what should work be? What is the purpose of work? Well, the purpose of work is the exchange of knowledge or skills for a salary. But the purpose of work should be much more than that. Because I know that workplaces that allow people to have autonomy, to gather mastery of their skill, and to have a sense of purpose are much, much better places to work. Mm. But that doesn't mean that you can't create autonomy, mastery, or purpose in a context where there is less than you would normally expect. So let's think of a supermarket, for example. There is a cashier who is grumpy and just waiting for the shift to end, you know, going beep, beep, beep. And there's another cashier who looks at someone and goes, hello, how are you today? How's your day going? What are you? Yeah, I can see. Have you tried this product? Oh, I haven't tried that yet. That's very interesting. Oh, we're doing the special today. What do you think about that? Would you like a grocery bag? You can get a sense that for them, while they may be doing something that is probably not paying much more than minimum wage, they get something out of it. Mm. And I think often the choice is down to the individual who does the job. Mm. If you do a job that doesn't give you the opportunity to find any moment of joy in the day, is there another way you can find that joy? Perhaps there is, perhaps you haven't considered it, or perhaps you need to be doing something in your spare time that allows you the opportunity to find something that does, in fact, give you that joy and that delight. 
Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, I've certainly been in roles where uh, they're not suited to my personality, I will put it that way, <laughs> where there is very little autonomy. Uh, mastery is probably there. Um, I think, you know, I've always been able to get get really involved in whatever role I'm doing and uh, I pride myself on doing it well no matter what when I used to work in a cardboard box factory loading cardboard into the back of a machine I would do that as you know as well as I could uh, so that I didn't break the machine mainly because that was always painful um, but there is you know you can create mastery in any role that you're in uh, autonomy and purpose a little bit a little bit more soul searching required for those two, I think. So um, you talk there about some, you know, I guess that's communication we're talking about, that, that the shopkeeper was able to go, right, my purpose here is to make someone's day. My purpose here is to have communication. Um, how do you get autonomy in a role like that, like a call center, I'm thinking, you know, where everything is quite micromanaged, um, where the, you know, that your timings are, are clocked and, you know, everything's very strict. How do you get autonomy when you don't, when you sort of don't feel like you're in a context with autonomy? Have you got any thoughts on that? It's a tricky one. All I can think of is examples of jobs where I've had, where you have to get something done to a certain degree. Like you were saying with, with boxes. Uh, one of the first roles I had was stuffing envelopes mm -hmm. for my mum who ran a magazine at the time. And we had to literally put those magazines into an envelope, stick a stamp on them, address them, and, you know, put them in a box to send out the door. But like you said, you can play games with yourself. Mm. How many, how quickly can I put these stamps on? Is there a better way to put the stamp on? What happens if I pile five envelopes at the same time and I can stick all of the labels on at the same time? Will that be more efficient? It allows one the illusion of autonomy, even yeah. if you can't actually have be autonomous in yourself. But it's an interesting question because I think that in jobs that are very carefully defined, people tend to assume that the rules are the rules and there is no way around the rules. But I know that having been a manager and, and being in leadership myself, there is something that you will notice about a person who goes the extra mile. And someone who is prepared to think carefully and experiment with things. Yeah, they may not be the world's best call center employee because they may sometimes go off script or they may occasionally take a short shift or a long shift because they want to serve someone and actually they're supposed to be going home. Those are the kind of people you notice. Mm. And I wish this will come on to a question. You'll probably ask me later. I wish that more people realized that they have the ability to determine what their future is based on their actions now. Mm. And you don't always have to accept the rules that are given to you if they don't make any sense. Mm. It's very hard if you're in an, context where there are so many layers above you that you can't really rock the boat but I can guarantee you if you're clever enough and question enough and are determined enough to make a difference you can find a way to make that difference even in a call center if you figure out a way to make 20 calls faster than anyone else or to increase customer satisfaction greater than anyone else your efforts will be noticed mm. 
but only you can make that choice. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, um, I, I've certainly been in in a call center, one of my early early jobs, and then also in a customer service center where a lot of that, um, you know, very very strict timing and put your hand up if you need to go to the bathroom kind of environment. Uh, and I was, I certainly, yeah, it didn't gel with me. I was that person that was always coming up with ideas. Uh, they didn't often get accepted because I think the environment teaches other people to also not be autonomous and so however as that kind of person that keeps going um keeps bringing up ideas keeps um you know improving customer service I love the idea of playing in competition with yourself because that really resonates with me and uh you know I see a lot of people doing that I think that can bring you those little moments of joy in an environment where you don't match um and then I think even if no one in your environment is taking notice of your ideas or taking notice of the links you're going to to help customers, you take notice. And I think just by you taking notice, you then get, you you apply for opportunities because you're like, actually, I am good. I am doing this mm. well. And therefore I'm going to apply for other opportunities and this this place is probably not the best fit for me. So uh, I better do it sooner rather than later. And that's a really important point. So often we get stuck in a place where we don't see that there is any way out of it. And I'll mm. just remind ourselves that we are not in prison. Just because the job seems like the only option doesn't mean it is always the only option. You may be in circumstances where it really is your only option. And if that is the case, then you can change your attitude. But if you can't change your attitude, you can change other aspects of things. And there's an also an element of leadership here, which goes into guerrilla leadership, a topic I talk about in the book you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. Guerrilla leadership is actually about finding the principles and the values that make sense to you, that make sense to the organization, that you follow, even if your direct manager is telling you not to. Yes. Because what you do by actually getting a sense of spirit, a sense of identity, a sense of purpose is that you inspire the people around you to make a difference too. Yeah. Even in a call center, you can be the person who comes in in the morning and greets everyone with a smile on your face and tries to find a way to help people feel a little bit better about themselves. You don't have to have a manager title. You don't have to have a leader title. You can simply be the kind of person who either leads by example or who leads simply by helping others understand what makes them come alive. Mm, mm, that's awesome. And I, I guess in there I'm thinking around, you know, particularly this the audience that's listening today uh, in leadership roles or looking to get into leadership roles. And it's almost like we need to flip the script a little bit here and also say when you're in those leadership roles, allowing people to have the autonomy the mastery and the purpose give them the space give them the um encouragement to step up in those three areas and you will get more out of them than you would otherwise so I think you know just making Absolutely. sure that we flip the script when we're in the position to be able to do so so yes. sorry you go uh sorry I was gonna ask um I guess sort of on a tangent to that topic, but it feels like it is relevant to my time in a call center uh, and a customer service center is the idea when we're at work 
and we don't feel like we have autonomy, mastery, purpose. We, we feel like we are constricted by the environment uh, or perhaps we have some of that, but we have, you know, I know a lot of women talk about having leaders who are, um, you know, not the best, belittling, uh, belligerent. Uh, some of them are ghosting. Some of them are micromanagers. Some of them are, um, you know, they'll take your ideas and take the credit for your ideas. When you're in that kind of environment, it feels all-encompassing, right? And, you know, one of the reasons that I started Her Leadership Way was this idea that uh, we, when we have bad leaders, it affects our entire life, not just our work life. Um, and so I guess this idea around suffering at work and, uh, you know, how how that affects us, uh, and whether it is something that we should be working on, we should be concerned with around this idea of suffering at work, because I've seen too many cases of it. Uh, and I don't, I, I know it's not necessary, but I'd love to get your take on that. My personal big hairy ass goal is to eliminate human suffering at work. Mm. It sounds like a really big thing, but it's a goal that I know I can't do on my own, which is exactly why I talk to people like you, because together we can. Yes. make a difference mm. and eliminating suffering doesn't mean that everyone's going to be paid a fair wage although it could it means that we eliminate our own emotional suffering at work and a lot of that has to do with what we're prepared to tolerate or not there is a reason that trade unions exist and i'm not advocating trade unions necessarily i'm just saying that they serve a purpose mm. the purpose that they serve is to stand up against an oppressor and to say this behavior is not acceptable. Mm. And the reason that to toxic workplaces exist is because no one is standing up to the oppressor and saying, this is not acceptable. You cannot treat me like this. And the unfortunate thing is it becomes insidious. It becomes something that creeps under your skin and sinks into your mind and it consumes you. Yeah. I know what it's like. I've worked in toxic environments and I will say that it's very hard to get out. It's, it's like someone actually ghost, uh, what's the word? Not ghosting you, the gaslight, gaslighting you. Yeah. Your yeah. employers are gaslighting you and they're doing it for whatever purposes that they're doing it for. But remember that there is safety in numbers. And so I will say to people, if you're feeling lonely and isolated at work, you're feeling like the circumstances are unfair don't just go home and whinge about it to your spouse because trust me, after they've heard it the 17th time, they're bored and they want you to change it, but they feel powerless to be able to help you change that. Mm. Start talking to someone who can help you either change your attitude or your circumstances. Mm. And that might be HR. Sometimes organizations don't know that a toxic leader is doing that. In other times they do know, and they're not prepared to do anything about it. Yeah. And in that case, I'm really tempted to find out whether even in a B2B environment where people are earning decent wages and they have an HR team, whether if they actually pulled together and said, this manager is unacceptable. And these are all the examples of where their behavior has been unacceptable. And these are the consequences of their action and took those up and up and up the chain. What would happen? Mm. And I know from being in a senior leadership position, sitting on boards, that more often than not, the board members wish that they knew what was really creating the problems. Because more often than not, there is a trigger. 
And you assume that, oh, I'm too small to make a difference. Well, if you've ever felt like you're too small to make a difference, try going to bed with a mosquito in the room. <laughs> and at two o'clock in the morning, you've got that noise. And you, you know, that mosquito is tiny, but it's making a difference to how well you sleep. It, is. it encourages me to think that anyone listening to this who's feeling like their workplace is too hard, that you have options. Your options are talk to someone and yeah, it might be your spouse who's sick of hearing it. So talk to someone else. There are many counseling facilities available for free in Australia and beyond that you can call. There are places like Project Displaced, I sit on their board, who you can call and have a confidential career counseling session with someone. Mm-hmm. They can help you work on your CV. They can help you work on your interview skills. They can help you do mental first aid. Mm. Or have a conversation with your colleague, not in a way that's just bitching about people, but in a way that actually goes, well, here is the problem as identified. Do you identify it the same way? Is there anything we can do about it? What can we do to make a difference? And I think there's a very big difference in the mindset of a manager versus someone who is managed. And it's a lot to do with power. Yes. I think that people who have been managed and managed poorly and who feel like their autonomy is being taken away from them on a daily basis actually starts to believe that they're not worth it. Mm-hmm. And that's so wrong. It mm-hmm. could not be more wrong. You are there because you had some reason for being there in the first place. Mm. There is a phrase that is pig Latin. Nil illegitimi carborundum. Okay. And it translates as don't let the bastards grind you down. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, and and they can, right? If you if you let them, it, it, like I said, it totally. doesn't just affect your work life; it affects your entire life when you've been there too long. Um, so I love the idea of talking to your colleagues and almost looking at what are the behaviors we're seeing that we can report on. What's the data here? Um, almost like let's take emotion out of it because it isn't a very emotional time and strip back to what's the data here and then who can we report the data to I think that's yeah I love that there's a reason that whistleblowers have such a hard time but ultimately if you're brave enough to be the kind of whistleblower you can make a difference Mm -hmm. and you can expose the injustices now I'm not saying that every workplace is unjust Often if you thought about it and there's genuinely a problem and you were able to report on the data and take it to your manager and they were a half decent human being, they'd be able to say, oh, goodness, let's see what we can do about that. It's just a fear factor that prevents a lot of people from actually thinking they have any power at all and they're wrong. Mm. Everyone Mm. has power. Mm. It is is difficult and and it is a, a change in mindset, right, where you're used to being in a corporate environment where there is a very strong hierarchy and the person that is making your life or feels like they're making your life miserable has the power to hire and fire, uh, then it can be very daunting to speak up and to do something about it, um, which is why I love the idea of, you know, creating allies across the business so that it doesn't feel like you're alone in this and it's not just you. Uh, So I think that's a a wonderful first step. My background at the moment is in government and government doesn't, doesn't fire very, very, very rarely because it's very, very difficult to, there is a hugely long process and most of them just think it's too hard. We'll just wait it out. 
So you mentioned before, if you can't, you know, if there's nothing that you can do about it to shift your your mindset, um, shift how you're seeing things. So do you want to just give us a few ideas in that space for when we really, you know, when HR is not listening, uh, when their manager is not listening, what? how can we shift our mindsets to help in this situation? The first thing that helps is to keep a list of your accomplishments. Mm-hmm. not just, oh, you know, I've got a degree. If you don't have a degree, it doesn't matter. The accomplishment mm. could be, what did I do today that was good? It doesn't have to be a big thing either. It could be someone smiled at me. Yes. Someone said, good job. Someone said, thank you. You've been really helpful and meant it. Mm. The next thing is to keep a list of compliments. And when you're feeling sucky, go back to that list and add to it. There's a reason that this thing called a gratitude diary exists because Mm. often when we shift our mindset from this is so hard, oh, woe is me, to the perspective of look at all these things I have in my life that I can be grateful for, that we start seeing more things we can be grateful for. Mm. We are fortunate to live in a first world country. Yes, there are people who don't have enough food to eat. But if you have food to eat, and you have money to be able to afford clothes and deodorant and sanitary items. Mm. And if you can actually go on holiday, however infrequent it is, you are better off than a vast, vast number of people Mm. on the whole planet. Mm. But also we have amazing weather. We have gorgeous sunsets and environments. Take a walk around and appreciate the feeling of the sun on your skin. Having lived in the UK for 13 years, I do not take that for granted. So start by shifting your mindset from I can't to what if I could. Mm -hmm. And then at some point in time, it helps to start shifting your mental language from I can't to I can't yet. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful quote by the guy who um, talked a lot about Auschwitz and the circumstances that he learned from it. And he said, between stimulus and response, there is a pause. And during that moment, we can decide what our response is going to be. Now, the problem is that when we are in emotional trauma, uh, when the monkey brain is going, ah, it's hard to realize that we have a choice. And so one of the other things I'd recommend is if you feel beleaguered or bewildered or overwhelmed or mismanaged, pause and breathe in and breathe out before you respond. Mm -hmm. And then find another avenue to consider that information. It may be that you're used to having conversations at work, have a conversation outside of work. It may be that you have the opportunity to write instead of talk. You might Mm -hmm. want to keep a gratitude journal or even write a letter to an old friend or send an email to a colleague, an ex-colleague, or, you know, someone you knew a while ago. Yes. Often changing the medium of communication can change the way that you access information. So for me, I write poetry. Sometimes the poems are horrible. Sometimes the poems are (laughs) delightful. Sometimes they're joyous. But what I find by shifting from verbal communication to written communication, and I almost always write my poems in pencil rather than typing, I'm able to access something that my conscious mind can't put its finger on immediately. And something else comes out. Being able to disconnect the stimulus and the response, however you do that, allows that space for change. 
And that allows the space to choose your response. It doesn't happen overnight. It's hard to find the space between stimulus and response. Mm. But the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. Mm. And and you know, all of those practices help you change your response. So the the gratitude, the more you're practicing the gratitude, the more likely it is to come up in the middle of a, a stimulus versus response pause or connecting with old colleagues who can remind you of your brilliance and your power and how you used to make them laugh and, you know, sort of get you back to, oh, no, I am, a you know, I am good enough. I don't need to deal with this. I don't need to have a stimulus response that takes me down a negative spiral. Um, so I think there's some really good practices in there for people to be able to start doing and shifting where they're at. Um, one of the key reframes that I talk about in this space is why is this happening for me rather than why is this happening to me? Uh, and it got me through my toxic workplace, the last the last one at least, uh, to, you know, just be able to reframe from uh, this is all terrible, I am stuck, um, why does this always happen to me? If you just change that one little word, the the different things that your brain will come up in response to that question will help you take a step and a pause between that stimulus and response. So it gives you an opportunity to take your perspective in a different direction. Yeah. Reframing yeah. can be incredibly powerful. But yes. It's hard to do it in the moment. Yes. Yeah. Which is why practicing it beforehand, right? strengthens that moment I think so bringing all of those practices together you know start with one build on them and you will find that in the moment then starts to shift as well as outside of the moments fantastic awesome okay I have a, a standard question for you uh, as we come to an end today so I've got two for you the first is what do you know now that you wish you knew five-ish years ago? I wish I'd known that I'm actually quite good. <laughs> I wish I'd believed it. Yes. My word of the year this year is extraordinary. And you know what? Extraordinary sometimes means extraordinary success and sometimes means extraordinary failure. And sometimes it means meeting extraordinary people. And that's been my focus. But five years ago, I could not possibly have believed in that word extraordinary. Yeah. And so I think the, the thing I wish I'd done is more of the things that I am afraid of. And I think that's a lesson for anyone. Mm -hmm. Courage like a muscle is strengthened by mm -hmm. use. That's not my phrase. It's a quote. But I think it's true because the more you do the things that scare you, the easier it becomes to do the things that scare you. And therefore, you can do more and more and more of the things that scare you. And the irony is that if I had put more effort into the things that scared me when I first shifted five years ago, I think I would find things easier now. Mm. Do the hard things first when you don't want to, and they will soon become less hard. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I love that. Um, definitely something that I live by. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I guess I, yeah, I sort of pride myself in how often I will step outside of my comfort zone and, and grow that circle out from my comfort zone. Um, so I love that that is something that you know now and have um, clearly stepped into being extraordinary, which is amazing. Why, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to write that down in my list of compliments. Yes, yes, please do. Add it. <laughs> um, final question. What is your leadership mantra? 
we talked about the word extraordinary and it's something I'm trying to embrace this year, but it's also something I feel very strongly that every single person possesses. Mm -hmm. Find your extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, allow your people the space to find their extraordinary. You may have employees who will work for you for a very long time and one day they may leave because they've realized that they need to be extraordinary in a different context, but they will remember you forever. Mm. They say that to teach is to touch a life forever. That doesn't just apply to teachers in a classroom. It applies to leaders in a workplace. If you are able to teach with space, that means that you aren't just shoving information at people. It's actually allowing them to learn. You can allow them to learn who they are and what makes them come alive. You can allow them to learn what they're good at and what they're not good at. Mm. And you can allow them to learn what gives them joy. And maybe you can even help empower them to feel joy the kind of joy that goes from a workplace and radiates out into every element of their lives. Yes. I'll never forget an extraordinary leader who I saw presented a company I worked at probably 10 years ago. She said, we want you to lead a big life. And she said, you don't just have to do it at work. Do it in a way that makes you feel extraordinary. Yes. And she wasn't telling everyone to skive off, but she was telling everyone not to just buckle down and do what they're told mm. because while it may serve the purpose and it may get you to the end of the day and it may put the paycheck into your bank account life is about so much more than scrimping and saving and getting by and I think that if you let just a spark of joy and you explore that spark of joy and you find out where it's going it's hard but it's worth it you may just discover you're extraordinary mm. I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, that those two things really go well together in that when we find our own extraordinary as leaders, it is so much easier for us to help other people find their extraordinary. And so I love that you're, yeah, you're what you wish you knew and your mantra go hand in hand. So very well done, Gina. Uh, so I would love for you to let everyone listening know where they can find you if they um, want to make sure that they're following you and uh, find the book, of course. Look me up on LinkedIn, Gina Ballerin. There's only one in the world. So you know it's me. Go. Can You can check out my website, verbalistics.com.au. Verbalistics has two L's. So now you know. Nice. But you can find The Secret Army Leadership Marketing and the Power of People on Amazon. Wonderful. Wonderful. And please and I reach will... out. If you yeah. listen to this and you have any questions or any comments or you just find it deeply curious, please tell me. Let's have a conversation because that is the only way to really coach yourself into a circumstance where you can be your own extraordinary is by talking to people who've been through that battle. Yes. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Gina. I will pop all the links in the show notes as well. So if you're listening, you can jump in there and just click on the link. It'll make it much easier to find Gina wherever she is. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a, a really interesting conversation. I really appreciate it. Absolutely lovely speaking to you. If there is one person out there who starts to shift their mindset, even just a little bit, having heard this, that makes it all worthwhile. So 
any women who are there who want to be aspiring leaders feel the fear and do it anyway ladies absolutely <laughs> thanks Gina thank you so much thanks for joining me this week I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did if you want to continue the conversation about today's topic or anything to do with being a leader from the inside out come and join us in the Women in Leadership Facebook group. You'll find the link to join in the show notes as well as the links to connect with today's wonderful guest. If you got value out of this episode, I would love it if you could share it with others. And of course, if you've been listening to podcasts for any amount of time, you'll know that rating the show and leaving a review helps others to find the show. And I would really appreciate that. Until next week, Continue to lead the way her way.